0: So, you know, last time I have been speaking about numbness and dissociation, you know, as a function rather than a dysfunction in the practice. So it's not really a barrier to our inner work, but something that needs to be recognized as a valid experience. Because usually, you know, we think, oh, you know, I... I feel very numb and I have to kind of bang through that numbness in order to do the practice. But just simply, you know, being aware of numbness is already practicing. Because the numbing reaction, you know, we can become aware of is something which stems from a pre-existing experience. It's a it's a certain trauma reaction which got triggered through an event in present time and then you know it takes us back to an earlier way of responding which is now you know maybe something we can slowly let go of through awareness because once you know the numbness was needed because it was our only way to respond to overwhelm when we were like small children you know when we could not afford you know to be excluded from the family because we needed it to to survive but now we are no longer more children we can actually start becoming aware of those very early patterns and you know through awareness through practicing and through the support of the sangha or through the support of a group or a friend or a teacher we can you know stay conscious as long as we can and through that being conscious, being aware of how numbing works, you know, we slowly but surely um, free our energy up into more capacity for being with things as they are. And uh, so this ability to turn off into numbing, to turn off sensing and feeling is actually a real capacity which should not be understood as a dysfunction. And then once we are kind of approaching the numbing in this way, you know, as a function rather than it takes on a complete different life and then there's much more capacity, you know, to have a respectful relationship to it. And slowly, you know, but surely beginning to digest this backlog of traumatic energy and make it available for growth. And, you uh, know, it's just the first noble truth like any other emotional state, greed and anger and uh, numbing, you know, they all are different emotional states, different ways, you know, how we relate to our experience. And they all need to be understood. A few times already, you know, my first teacher, one of teacher you Archin know, he always spoke about you know the first noble truth needs to be understood. And he was speaking in, in the terms of to stand under it, to really draw close to it, you know, to not kind of keep it at arm's length, but to really being willing to draw close and have an intimate relationship with that patterning of numbing you know to say oh you know now something happened and my my whole system has been numbing and then you know just take an interest in that and as soon as we have this full relationship with the numbing process it starts to um, lose its power over us and we are just including the numbing into the circle of care rather than, you know, standing outside of it and trying to make it go away. So not overriding its awkwardness or its intensity, its discomfort, just making it part of the practice and respecting its intelligence because there was a time when nothing else was available to deal with overwhelm. And that was you know, what we could do. This was an evolutionary capacity which is part and parcel of, you know, being a human being. And down and attuning to that experience. That's what we need to do. And I've a few times shared, you know, that quote by by our Kumulafa, times are urgent, let us slow down. Well, times are urgent, we need to slow down. Because if you just keep reacting, you know, in the same way like we have been for hundreds of years, we just repeat the same thing all over again and there won't be any sustainable changes. And that's what we are looking for. You know, we need to sustainably change the way how we live and that can only come from a new narrative we are. And to, for example, you know, including emotional responses as an intelligent response rather than a bother, you know, we need to uh, get rid of or we need to try to not have, you know, that's going to be weakening us because it's not real, you know. So taking an interest and turn towards our inner experience, that's where it all starts. And, you know, knowing that our systems have a negativity bias built in, you know, as an evolutionary protection against basically extinction, you know, it was an, and, you know, and it said that for every kind of uh, positive experience, uh, sorry, for any negative experience, you know, to be balanced out, we need seven positive ones. So it's pretty tough, you know, once we understand that, that, you know, negative experiences, they they are quite tenacious, you know, because in a way, this negativity path protects us from, you know, kind of expiring, basically. So it's really important to know that, that this is not our mistake. This is not because we are not capable of living good lives it's just like part and parcel of our evolutionary equipment which we need to learn to handle better you know at this time where we are you know in very difficult situation as we are noticing that the way we are living on the planet is not is not sustainable and i think this negativity bias is is one of the reasons you know where we have gone so deep into consumption because we once thought you know when we were less um evolved we thought that consumption can protect us from uh discomfort so i have to just close that a little bit and we have now found out that actually consumption is creating more discomfort in terms of you know destroying important life sustaining capacities of the planet such as you know having water to drink and having sustainable temperature to live and and to grow food, and all of those very basic things are in danger now because we have not been mature enough, you know, to see things in a big picture. And we have been, you know, zoning in just like wanting more comfort for as many people as possible. And and that definition of comfort was very limited. So in order, you know, to grow out of that, we need to untangle this web of assumptions we have been projecting. And it's not because we are bad. It's just, you know, that's what immature species does based on ignorance. And as soon as we are ready, you know, to to do something about that ignorance, we can start because we have many teachings out there and the Buddhist teaching is one, you know, which is particularly pragmatic because it has, you know, the meditation teachings, which are very, very clear. And the Buddhist teaching is, is a set of tools, not a set of beliefs, you know. And that's why it's, I think, very well received in the world because it doesn't require to believe anything. It just requires to, you know, put this belief to one side and just experiment, you know pick up some of the tools and try it out for yourself and see if it works or if it doesn't. And, you know, according to my experience, it it does work, that it does, you know, increasingly free us of mistaken identities. It's like, you know, taking off a tight shoe. Maybe you've got a pair of new shoes and you're, go to town, you know, for a few hours, and then you can't wait to get back home, take off those shoes, you know, and then feeling, ah. Oh. So this kind of a uh, tight conceptual identities, you know, which we have been living with, we can just take it off, you know, if it's no longer serving us and the whole planet reflects it back in no uncertain terms, you know, that it doesn't serve us. It maybe serves, you know, some of the old systems like, you know, the capitalist industrial complex. They still, you know, are trying to squeeze out the last few, uh, you know, dollars out of the biosphere. But it's written all over the wall, you know, it's a dying system. I mean, maybe we can make it, you know, stumble along a few more years, but it's not going to be coming back to strength again ever. Because it has, you know, eaten itself up in a way. And, uh, you know, in order to be able to discern that, those connections, we need to really put an effort into cultivating our minds and grounding ourselves you know both of those um, are very very important sensitizing the mind so that the mind is more capable of seeing nuance and seeing the big picture and on the other hand you know grounding ourselves in our bodies and in effect you know that we and the planet are one process and tuning into this much vaster intelligence which the planet is already displaying you know since it has come into being over four billion years ago it has displayed an incredible intelligence as it was self-regulating and if you think you know how it all started it was like a huge cloud of stardust and and now i mean we have these wonderful trees out there we have We have computers so we can connect with each other, even, you know, some of us are so far away, like in Europe. So, you know, this intelligence has done pretty well. And we couldn't have done it any better, I'm sure. So, why don't we just, you know, tune in with that intelligence rather than trying to figure it out ourselves? I think that seems to be the next evolutionary step, you know, that respect and that turning back to where we really come from and becoming team players rather than trying to be the masters of this, which we have really, really (laughs) ridiculously, you know, kind of failed. Even we had this dream and I think it's good to follow dreams, but then when you see that it's not going anywhere, you know, you have to just stop and, and go back and start all over again. And I think that's what is our lot at this point, you know, as we are noticing we can't keep on pushing forward in these old ways. We need to drop deeper. And all of those cracks, you know, which are opening up all of those. signposts, you know, which are showing us that we can't no longer press forward in that same way. They help us to actually. Look in the right direction. And I think the right direction is to be able to attune more deeply with this intelligence, you know, which is always already here. And to cultivate our mind so that we can really resonate deeply and drop some of this extra luggage, you know, of conditioning, uh, which keeps us keeps us closed, you know, to those uh, kinds of information which are important to open up to at this point in history, you know, to really open up to what the earth has to tell us, because it's not only about, you know, everything what's going wrong, it's not only all about you know, doomsday and and uh, extinction, but it's there's also a whispering there, you know, which tells us what is the right thing to do, how to respond, and because our bodies and the body of the earth are one and the same process, we can directly connect through listening, you know, with our whole bodies, so to say, which sounds a little bit funny, but that's what it is, you know, listening and seeing in a different way with our whole bodies because our bodies are our connection to the earth and to develop this capacity. That's what I think I try to encourage us all together on those Wednesdays. And that's also what I try to do, you know, in, in, in my practice to just step out of the thinking mind and sense with my whole body into this deep interdependence with everything around me. And then, you know, see what emerges out of that, not by thinking about it, but by rather opening myself to whatever wants to come through. You know, and one way how we can uh, explain that process in terms of the early buddhist teaching is you know cultivating what's called the seven factors of awakening and i have chosen that today because i also teach that here at spirit rock during this retreat so the seven factors of awakening are seven qualities of the mind you know which we always already have but we can train them and make them more powerful so, we have an increasing sensitivity to connect with the way things really are rather than staying, you know, caught up in the mind and projecting stories and a web of assumption onto experience. And I was you know, planning to lead us today in a guided meditation on those seven factors of awakening, or in, in the Pali language, they are called the seven bojanga. So, you know, please. And you know, find the posture for about thirty-five minutes. And listening, you know, with our full bodies and our minds, both of both of those. You know, we could. Imagine the body as an organ of listening or seeing whatever works better for you or both. And, you know, for that, you don't have to work hard. Just allow what is being said. Orient the body and the mind. Because the body and the mind, they respond naturally without us having to push or pull. You know, and also noticing what you're bringing to this meeting today. You know, making a screenshot of how the body feels right now. No words needed, just a direct sensing. Then the emotions, the heart. And the mind. And we are together here, you know, as a group. in like a vessel together, you know to receive a deeper relationship with biosphere. You know, as our guide at this time in history, and also you know the whole lineage of in terms of the Buddhist teaching, which has been handed down to us, you know, since over two thousand five hundred years, and how we can bring both of those teachings together, just as the Buddha know is on record for having touched the earth in the night of his awakening in Gaya under the Bodhi tree. He has been touching the earth and asking the earth to be his witness that he has done his work and we are in the process of doing our work we are not done yet but we also just like the Buddha we need to bring together our work here as human beings and parts of the planet and the work of finding the appropriate way to relate to samsara and through this appropriate relating more and more letting that go So, it's a combination of both the conventional lives we lead on the planet and then the supermontane transcending at the same time, bringing both of those approaches together. We can't cut any corners here. And then you're just simply also reminding yourself why are you here? What's your motivation? And, you know, pointing the mind to the present moment in a receptive open way and that's already the first of the seven factors of awakening sati or mindfulness awareness you know, the key quality for getting started at the same time that's the quality which is getting more and more empowered in combination with the other six factors you know like a spiral which is going deeper and deeper into reality you know being aware of the body sitting and breathing in and breathing out And taking a in real interest in our experience that is curiosity, that is the second factor of awakening, which is in the Pali language, Dhamma Vichaya. For example, you are noticing the beginning, middle, and the end of each breath, it's not rocket science to pay attention to those features, you know, of our experience, we usually don't pay attention to because we are usually glued on content and don't look at structure. So this teaching, you know, guides us to be more able to discern structure and not get lost in content. Because that's where the liberating power of the dharma is found in recognizing the repetitive structures not in you know kind of you know getting lost in philosophizing or teasing out you know stories that is endless. So we already have two of the factors. Conscious and osati mindfulness and Dhamma And you know, that can be on a very rudimentary level. Like if we want to open a door, you know, we need to have an interest to open that door, and then we go there and take out the key, put in the keyhole. That's one application of the seven factors, but then, you know, that that capacity can be refined and made more powerful as we train ourselves. In order to stay with the meditation object and to stay with what we want to do, there also needs to be energy. That's the third factor, Virya. So, mindfulness, curiosity, and interest, and energy. Meaning, and you know, always coming back again and again to the chosen object mind tends to wander off according to its you know, conditioning and then again and again as we notice that we just simply bring it back to the task which is we are now you know, being aware of the body breathing and the wandering off is not a problem that's just a symptom Of a mind, you know, which is conditioned. And then you as we are bringing the mind back over and over again. We are slowly and you not know, letting go of tension. The process gets a bit more smooth. And that brings us to the fourth factor of awakening, which is pity. And so maybe a subtle, very subtle kind of joy or contentment, which starts to become apparent if we Notice it. And it's just quite a bit different than how it was just a few minutes ago when we were still, you know, at the beginning of the meditation. There's a certain smoothness which becomes palpable through the continuous, you know, bringing the mind back, bringing the mind back. You know, if you don't feel any kind of smoothness or subtle joy or contentment, you can just maybe bring up, you know, the fact that you're practicing, that you are going in the right direction with this. It can help to bring up a sense of contentment. And as we are, you know, keeping, stay with the body, breathing. The mind lets go and gets a bit more calm. Without, you know, getting involved with its many stories. And that's the fifth factor of awakening, calming or apasadi. It's quite a natural process, you know, as soon as we arrive at the Contentment at the subtle joy, then that transforms into calm. Um, there's no more input needed from us. Just need to stay centered, and it'll you know, keep the posture. Energized, not getting, you know, slouching or losing energy and falling asleep. You know, as the fragmentation in the mind disappears more and more, like a kind of a healing coming together. naturally occurs and we call it samadhi the stable still collected mind which is focused and it doesn't need to be a narrow focus so the word concentration is sometimes used which is a bit uh, misguiding i think because it's not about keeping things out but it's about being able to embrace everything from a sense of stability and composure. That's the sixth factor of awakening. being you know being really stable but connected not checking out it's not about shutting down it's about opening from a place of stability and grounding all of those factors you know they're all present sati mindfulness awareness tamadhi curiosity interest virya energy Pity, subtle joy, contentment, asadi calm, samadhi, stability. And then the last one is Upeka. Connected yet spacious and balanced. And, you know, in the early teachings, the definition of that is Dwelling free from desire and discontent. You know, just really being with, with what is. And if there is some desire or discontent, including that also inside of the circle of awareness. And to Peka equanimity is sometimes also translated as having a sense of perspective on our experience, like a bird's eyes view. And once they all present, then in particular the opaque eye and all the per- sense of perspective, again strengthen the capacity for mindfulness awareness and then you know we go into a next round of those seven factors and in that manner you know we are going deeper and deeper into reality in a very intimate way using the whole body and mind to connect Because these bodies are also part of the here on this planet. And now, you know, as we are reaching the limits of the biosphere as a global civilization, this intelligence wants us to wake up to this fact, you know, as a next evolutionary step. And it's not something you know we have to work for super hard. It's more like staying connected with what wants to emerge, showing an interest, being willing to put in some energy, staying with it, dealing with the discomfort of the uncertainty and whatever other traumatic materials get squeezed out. You know, as we are pushing around against this evolutionary threshold it's challenging yes but it's not something you know which we are doing alone we are part of this unfolding which is whatever we want to call it you know in some religions it's called god in others it's in our teaching, it's called uh, Dharma. Or Dhamma. It is already happening. The point is just, are we going to go with it? Are we going to go tune, resonate, align ourselves with it? Or are we trying to hold on and stay in the past because we don't want to change? that's the choice we have you know are we gonna take the ride or are we gonna try desperately to hold on on the banks of extreme or are we just gonna paddle you know to the middle of the river and and go and that's you know what the seven factors of awakening providing us with to come back to the middle of the river and allow ourselves to be carried rather than holding on, you know, on one bank in terms of aversion, on the other bank in terms of indulgence. We can just come back to the middle and take the ride. You know, this is what this teaching is uh, enabling us to do. And it always needs to be communicated in some way, which makes sense, some kind of a list or some kind of a practice we can follow. And this is one of them. There's many ways to express it differently. But it's all about opening and allowing and not drowning. And the more, you know, we are willing, you know, to digest, metabolize these old traumatic backlogs in our system, the more buoyancy we will have. Because the, the repetition compulsion of the old traumatic material, as we can see so well now in the Middle East, you know, It's just always the same old thing, same old thing. Until we stop and say, okay, we're going to look at this. We're not going to stay on the surface and hack away at the symptoms. We're going to look at the root of this. Because everything else is just like not really able to bring any lasting benefit for anybody. And in order to see that we need the bird sized view, we need to have a sense of perspective. Otherwise, it escapes us so easily. And this is you know where the practice comes in, not as a luxury, but as a necessary part of bring about benefit. You know, real compassion needs to be paired with wisdom; otherwise, it's just going to be a uh, you feel better for a moment and then it's back to the old thing. This is, you know, the evolutionary threshold we are now meeting on. And you know, you probably have noticed there's a lot of talking about trauma, you know, on the internet, lots of teachings about that because it is becoming conscious, you know, coming more and more into the mainstream, as this is what we need to integrate now. Because the biosphere is forcing us to stop. And that's kind of it's tough but also in a way you know it's it's a good thing as well even it's not an easy thing there's no no place to run anymore You know, for the last few minutes of this um, meeting, uh, of this meditation today, you know, I'd like to suggest, you know, that you could invite an ancestor or some public uh, ancestor or somebody from your family line you invite them into your space, you know, and see if they have to give you some kind of a hurdle, a word, a sentence. For this work, you know, for those who are on the other side, quote unquote, what can they give us on our way? And, you know, just whatever happens. whoever wants to come And then, you know, coming back to the body, breathing. The impermanence, you know, of the breathing in and breathing out. You know, even the most sublime state of mind you know comes to an end and then when it's time to let go we just let it go And, you know, today I don't have a battle, so you slowly can come back. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.